Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Pesachim, daf Ayin Aleph, 71. Well, this daf really presents, before we get to a rather lengthy Mishnah again, um, a lot of detail, halachic detail, I should say, about two main topics. One is whether or not the Shlamei Simcha has to be brought actually at the time of the Simcha itself. And there's a rather interesting discussion over whether the Simcha starts on the first night um, of Sukkot and actually the learning of how they read those Sukkim is actually that it doesn't include the first night. Um, and they keep coming back to that Brisa. Um, that Brisa was actually on Amud um, Ayin on 70, um, but we see it again here, which I think is very interesting. And the reason for that Brisa gives is that sort of you're not in a state of Simcha sort of on Erev, you know, or when you go into the Chag itself, so therefore that mitzvah simcha does not include um, that first night. And then the second part of the discussion on this stuff is going to be around, um, you know, when, how long can you um, eat, you know, part of the chagiga and when does part of it need to be, um, you know, wh- how long do you have to eat the actual meat of the chagiga, specifically uh, the one of Pesach? So first, let's start with the first topic um, and this issue of the shlame simcha. And, you know, Rabbi Elazar is the opinion that the Gemara brings, who says that actually the um, Shlamei Simcha has to actually be slaughtered. The Shechita of it has to be done on the festival itself to qualify as the Shlamei Simcha. In other words, you can't shecht it at a time where you're not under the obligation of the Simcha itself. And so Rava is going to actually challenge us. Mati Rava. So Rava is now going to bring a Mishnah in, which we find actually in Masachat Sukkot, right? Hahalava Simcha Shmona. So this is a series of Mishnayos that sort of talks about, there's so many mitzvot on Sukkot itself. Lula, Simcha's Beisah Shoeba, uh, you know, this thing, this, there's a special mitzvah with Arava. They would put these Aravos around the Mizbeach. And the Mishnayos there try to figure out how many days did you do that for, for all of Sukkot, right? And including that also the Rishmini Atzeret, so some of those mitzvahs, you only did on sukkahs. Some of them you only did on Shemini Atzeret. Some of them, some of the mitzvahs of sukkahs were impacted because you didn't do them on Shabbos, for example. So this is a series of those Mishnahs. And so this Mishnah is discussing Halal, right? The recitation of the full Halal, as well as the mitzvah of Simcha Shmona, right? Is for all eight days of the sukkahs holiday. So this would obviously also include um, uh, Shemini Atzeret. And one of the things that you have to do is you would eat the Shlamei Simcha, okay? You would bring the special korbanot of the Shlamei Simcha that you would bring. Now, Tosfos actually gets into discussion if that's actually true about Shemini Yetzirah, but again, the simple reading of this Mishnah is, is that Halel and Simcha you would do for these eight days. So now Rav is going to ask a question on this Mishnah, that if you're going to say that we require that the act of the Shechita for the Shlame Simcha has to be actually at the time of rejoicing. Has minan saginan delo shiva. Right? Many times you'll find that there actually are only seven days where you could actually eat these types of uh, these types of korbanos, the Shlame Simcha. Kagon Shachal Yom Tov Harishan Right? When you have that the first day of Yom Tov falls out on Shabbos, you're not going to be allowed to shach the Shlame Simcha. Because the Shlame Simcha is not one of those korbanos that's actually Docha Shabbos, right? Was opposed to the Korban Pesach 
and maybe the Chagiga, depending on whose opinion you hold by, but a regular Shlame Simcha, right, is not going to override the Shabbos. So again, just to keep in mind, like, we're dealing with a lot of different korbanos, right? We have the korban Pesach. We have a Chagiga korban. Now we have the third additional korban, which is the Shlame Simcha. And again, the Shlame Simcha is not one that will be Docha Shabbos. So Rav is basically saying, the Mishnah is telling us that the mitzvah of Simcha is for a full eight days. But we know that there are going to be, when Yom Tov falls on Shabbos, right, you can't bring a Shlame Simcha on that day. So now the Gemara is going to try to solve this, right? I'm a Rav Huna, Rav Yehuda. So Rav Huna, the, the son of Rav Yehuda, is going to say, and here we're specifically talking about when the first day of Sukkot falls out on Shabbos, right? And you can't do this Shlame Simcha. Right? You rejoice with the meat of the male goats of the festivals. So on all the festival days, on all the days of Sukkot, and again, we'll see this when we learn Masachat Sukkot, Sukkot, there's a ton of korbanos that were brought every single day, right? There was a communal chatas that was born, that was brought on every single day of the holiday. Um, and that, because it's a communal korban, right? We learned this when we talked to our original Mishnah about what korbanos are allowed to be docha Shabbos, any korban that's for the tzibor, right? The daily tamid, the, um, the, the korban musaf. And here, the specific chatas that was brought on Sukkot those are allowed to be slaughtered on Shabbat because it's a communal one. It's for the tzibar. So the Gemara is going to reject this and say, no, it can't be that we're going to say the simcha meat um, for, you know, the day where you can't bring a shlame simcha is going to be from these goats from the chatat. Amar Rabbah, shtei tzibar b'tavar. He says there's two ways to actually refute this, right? Chadaz is sereha regalim chaynachlim, right? First, that if, if on Shabbos we were going to say that you were going to eat these male goats, of the festivals, right? They may only be eaten raw, right? Because sli non because they can't be eaten in their normal roasted form. So he's teaching us something that's very interesting here. What is docha on Shabbos here, right? Which is different than the Korban Pesach. What's docha about Shabbos here is that you only are allowed to do the shchita, right? The shechting, the slaughtering of the Korban is what is docha Shabbos. But the cooking it so you can eat it that you actually have to wait until Saturday night. You would have to wait until Motzei Shabbos. So he's saying, yeah, you are shechting this korban, but you're not eating the raw meat because you can't actually cook it. This simcha b'chai and he sort of states something which I just thought was amusing, right? He's saying there's no joy in actually eating uh, raw meat. Um, now, I think most of us would agree with that. I know there might be some particular, you know, steak tartare, things like that. But in general, nobody's really eating raw meat. Va'od, and also, right? Kohanim ochlim. He says, no, this is also a korban. The, the chatat meat of these goats, right, is only eaten by the kohanim. Israel So what kind of meat then is the, you know, our regular ordinary Jew, right? What is he getting to enjoy? And so Rav is basically saying, no, you basically are going to have this one day, right? The Yom Tov that falls on Shabbat that you do not have shlame simcha. There's no rejoicing that's going to be with meat. And so therefore, how are they going to explain this? Ella, I'm a Rav Papa. So Rav Papa explains, yashan. So when you have that first day of sukkahs that falls on Shabbos, how do you fulfill this thing of rejoicing, right? It's going to be through wearing clean clothes and drinking aged wine. So in other words, Rav Papa is basically saying, yeah, generally we're going to see that simcha is related to eating meat, 
But actually, in this particular circumstance, there are going to be other ways that you can express that simcha and express your joy of the holiday that doesn't actually have to do around me. You know, this brought me back a little bit to the machlokas that we saw earlier between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua, right? Like what happens on Yom Tov itself? What happens on a Chag itself? Is it a day for you or is it a day for Hashem? And Rabbi Eliezer really says, no, it's just for you. It's a day for you to eat, drink good wine, you know, rest a little bit. And Rabbi Yoshua says, no, you sort of have to divide the day up. But I think, again, we're seeing this continual theme that there is, you know, the Chag in a way is a day for us to like really enjoy ourselves. And I think there's something so nice about that. Like it's really showing, again, this value in Judaism that we sort of don't believe in denying ourselves pleasure, right? Like it's okay that a way to celebrate God, to celebrate our connection during that day is we do do it through food. We can do it through clothing. We can do it through wine and all of things. It's not, this isn't considered to be gluttonous or materialistic, um, but that's actually the way that we, we recognize that these are things that humans actually enjoy. And that's an okay thing. That's, that's part of the Chag itself. It's really part of the Simcha. I think that's a really lovely translation from uh, all of the details here of the Karbanot into, you know, how we live and, and what our priorities might be today. Um, or we might hope they would be today. Uh, wait, all right, so, we've got another. Yeah, but before we get to that mission, I just want to go through, um, you know, the, the second section I just want to say about, you know, the time of the Chagiga. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm not going to go through the whole back and forth. It actually is a pretty, one of those passages in the Gemara where I sort of had to reread it two or three times to really make sense of it. But the conclusion of it is interesting. What it basically says is that the Chagiga that's bought, brought on the 14th and then the 15th is different than the other Chagigas. And again, we'll have a whole Masachat about the Korban Chagiga later on um, in that it's only really allowed to be eaten until the next morning. So you have a day, you have one day and one night as opposed to other Chagigot, uh, which seem to be one night, two days. And I think, you know, that Chagiga that's tied to the 14th and the 15th of Nisan is in a way very tied to the Korban Pesach. And there's, therefore, it has sort of the same eating parameters as the Korban Pesach itself. And I wonder, the Gemara doesn't say this, but I wonder in a way if it's just because, like, they don't want people to get confused. Because eating the Korban Pesach later than you're supposed to is a big no-no. Um, yes, that is true. <laughs> I, I, I just think like, they don't explain it well. It was a very confusing passage of the Gemara, but I, that's the only reason why I could think like why they sort of settle on that. But I'm really reading into the Gemara because it doesn't say it. Um, I want to jump now to the Mishnah, which is this mammoth, another mammoth Mishnah. Um, I, you know, Yodena, we talked about this. Why, why is this? So the first mission that was so, so long really gave us the pageantry we said of the day. And I understand why that would not have been broken down into more Mishnayot, right? Because because it's the, the picture of it and you have to have all of the description and get everybody in there. But since then, the Mishnayot that have been so, so long are really halachic discussions. Uh, maybe you yeah, wanna, I mean, you my, know, my, my, my theory, theory here. a little bit is, is there's something, we do see occasionally these Mishnayot, particularly where like Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Akiva sort of, you know, give their explanation and the that is somehow recorded. And it's not like a bottom line halakha, but the discussion around it. You know, I was struck by that, you know, Daf, a couple of, uh, I think it was 67, which had that story about Hillel and that the halachot, even during the times of the Beit HaMikdash, were forgotten, right? They couldn't remember whether or not you were docha, the Korban Pesach, 
um, on Shabbos, which like is really not a halacha that should have been forgotten. So I wonder if there's something particular with these halachot around the korbanot, and they're not being practiced at that time, that almost they wanted to preserve even the line of thinking around it. You know, that they were very, and you could see in a way, you know, if you're living in the time of the, um, you know, the time of the Galut, but you're you're not in the diaspora, you're in Eretz Yisrael. These people were in Israel, right? But, you know, you don't have the Beit HaMikdash, so you know you're not living the way you're really supposed to be living as a Jew. You know, you could be very nervous about some of those things being forgotten. And so there maybe that's why this is sort of allowed to be a more lengthy Tanaitic passage, um, as opposed to some of the much shorter Mishnayos that we really more typically see. So I really like this thinking. I, I obviously can't assess it, right? Meaning we have to go and find the Tana to explain exactly what they're thinking was. And unless maybe we'll come across a statement where they say so. But I, I think that what you've said now, your Dana, makes a good deal of sense um, because I do find these to be unusually long Mishnayot and and with the detail that exactly does this, that preserves this discussion. Um, so let's dive in. A Pesach right? Again, here we've got a Korban Pesach that was shechted or slaughtered for a purpose that is not for the Korban Pesach, but this time it's done on Shabbat. Meaning up until now, we've been talking about what happened, did it disqualify, did that lack of intent disqualify the carbon for the carbon Pesach? In this case, the Shechita was done on Shabbos. Shechita Stam, right? Meaning with no particular purpose, like a, a carbon that is obligated on Shabbos or one that can be Docha Shabbos, otherwise is prohibited on Shabbat. It's one of the Lamentem Malachot, it's one of the 39 prohibited laborers of Shabbos. So, you got to bring korban chatat, meaning you you have violated Shabbat. And likewise, any of these other korbanot that if you have brought them on Shabbos for the purpose of them being a korban Pesach, but they're not the kind of, you know, they're not fit for korban Pesach if they're the wrong kind of animal, if they're the wrong kind of age or whatever it is that makes them ineligible to be a carbon Pesach, then shechting them for the carbon Pesach, even with the right intent, will still make you chayev on Shabbos. And then, you know, what if they are the kind of animal that should be acceptable for a carbon Pesach? So Rabbi Eliezer says, in any case, you have your violation here, right, is that it was um... Wait one second. They said that still there's going to be some kind of unwitting transgression by Rebbe Lezer. And Rebbe Yoshua says, no, no. If you meant to do your Korban Pesach and you messed it up in some way, the very fact that you meant to do the right thing and you were trying to do the right thing and your animal is now officially fit to, to work, then you might not fulfill that obligation of the Korban Pesach, but you also are not obligated in a, in a chatat, right? Meaning you've, you've done some kind of offering and that's also acceptable. Um, and again, not necessarily uh, what you should have done, but not required a chatat. I'm Ali Rabbi Eliezer, and so now they're going to have a conversation here, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua, I'm a, which is exactly the point, Yerdena, your point, that this kind of conversation is rarely held in the, in the words of the Mishnah, right? We would have it referred back to in a Braita that's quoted in the Gemara, that kind of thing. Here it is in the Mishnah. Ma'im so Rabbi Lezer says to Rabbi Yeshua, well, if we're talking about the Korban Pesach, 
And we're talking about something that if you did it on Shabbos in the name of the Korban Pesach, that would be fine. But then you change the purpose of it, meaning you're doing it for a shlamim, you're doing it for anything that isn't the Korban Pesach, even though you wanted it to be the Korban Pesach originally, maybe, or it's valid, it could have been the Korban Pesach. Then we're going to say again, Chayav, that's the point. You changed its shmo, you changed its purpose. So then shouldn't that person be Chayav? Zvachim shehein asurin lishman, kishishinat shman, if you have any kind of korban, right, that the point of it is in one direction and then you changed it and you direct redirect it to something else, shouldn't that be, you know, isn't that a, the logic should be that you're going to be chayav. But Rabbi Yoshua does not like that. Rabbi Yoshua says, no, no, no. If you if you're saying that you're a chayav katat because you shechted a korban pesach for some other reason and you changed its purpose for something that was prohibited, then that's one thing. Meaning that you can't bring that on Shabbat. But how can you say the same thing about korbanot that were shechted for the purpose of being a korban pesach, and then so what you're doing there is changing their purpose to something that is permitted to do on Shabbat? How can you claim that that is asur? Amr le Rabbi Eliezer. And then Rabbi Lezer says back to Rabbi Yoshua, there's such a thing as these communal offerings. Now, communal offerings in this case, right, we're talking about any kind of extra that, you know, is shouldn't really be offered an, as an extra on Shabbat, right? This is, and you, according to the Rambam, then you would be Chayav Achatat, which is the position of Rabbi Lezer here, right? What does he say? If you would bring these communal offerings on Shabbat when you shouldn't bring them extra, then technically the first time you'd think that they'd be permitted, but you'd be chayav. Armele Rabbi Yoshua, and he returns to he responds, Rabbi Yoshua responds, Lo im amarta Rabbi Yoshua says, Well, with those communal offerings. You have a limit. What does it mean a limit? There's a very specific number of communal offerings that could be offered in a day. We're talking here, I believe, we're talking here about the tamid and the yes, musaf and those exactly kinds of korbanot. Okay, good. And then, but for the pesach, there's no. This is a very interesting halacha. There's no kitzvah. There's no limit to the korbanot that can be offered as the korban pesach. Meaning, everybody can bring. Well, again, groups, right? We're talking about groups, but zillions of people can come and offer a Korban Pesach. We don't say there's one Korban Pesach this year, right? Every, every family, every group of 10, whatever it's going to be, can offer its own Korban Pesach. And so as many people come, then you don't have a limit. So then in that case, says Rabbi Yoshua back to Rabbi Lezer, you can't say that someone's going to be Chayev because they haven't violated, they haven't crossed the line in making this Korban. Yeah, I think so. Can I? Sorry, Please, to, I, Lezer, of that. Yeah. I thought that was such an interesting point, And it's really true. And I think that speaks again to one of the things we kept saying that there must have been something chaotic, overwhelming, whatever. It, but like the bringing of the Corbin Pesach was no easy feat. There was just thousands of them, you know, even that description of Agrippus, you know, like that there were 600,000 that they counted of the kidneys. And I think that's a very different. And they right, called that a right, very right. busy year, meaning, right, that was, that so was I, more so than usual. I think usual. that distinction is really important here. Yeah. And I think it's also something that I'm going to take home, right, in terms of what I remember about 
the how did they bring the Korban Pesach back in the day? The fact that there were so many being brought and this hecticness of that day, you know, that's your Super Bowl era of Pesach thing. I, I think that it I think that's really true. In any case, our Mishnah continues because it's a very long Mishnah. Rabbi Meir Omer, Rabbi Meir says that according to Rabbi Yeshua's rationale, right, meaning he's, he he ends up saying it should be fine to bring these um Sibur. It says the person who would do so beyond their daily limit, it's not that it's fine, but they're exempt, namely the the being able to shech these animals the for the purpose of the emirate sibur is they've they've crossed the line they've gone too many so they can't do it they shouldn't do it but according to Rabbi Yeshua because the purpose of it was something that would have been allowed on Shabbat if they hadn't crossed the number then they're also going to be exempt they're going to be patur right this this line between Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yeshua of how stringent are we in terms of calling this korban a violation of Shabbat or not a violation of Shabbat, even though it maybe wasn't, it shouldn't have been done, or it's not fair to say it's not a violation of Shabbat, a violation of Shabbat that requires a korban chatat versus a violation of Shabbat that doesn't require a korban chatat because it theoretically could have been done for the purpose of Shabbat, except for that we've already hit our quota of the day, is a really big distinction here. And then the Mishnah continues, and we're like, it's almost a new territory. Right, we're back to those who can't eat from it. Meaning, we've moved on. Well, we're not fully moved on for the Shabbos purpose, but but this is really like that machloket of Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Lezer is kind of paused and we're done. And the Mishnah goes on, and that's why I keep feeling like, but it's reading as if it's Gemara, but it's really Mishnah. Meaning, somebody who shechs the korban pesach. And has it in mind, you know, is intending it for those who cannot eat from it. Meaning those who are, and this is you know, like, you have to remember that this means the people who are not eligible to eat for it because they're sick or they're elderly or whatever, they cannot take the meat. Or for those who do not, they did not register for it. So then, then you can't have them in mind because they weren't ever really intended to be part of it. Or the uncircumcised or the people who are tameh. You do any of that, right? Then, then that shrita is going to be you're going to be chayev on Shabbos. Meaning, before now, we talked about were you going to be disqualified, was that korban going to be disqualified as a korban Pesach? Now the question is, let's say we've resolved that and you actually have set it up that, you know, the issue is not about the korban Pesach now, it's about whether you have violated Shabbat to the degree that you'll be chayev a chatat. The, the Mishnah here says yes. But if you've done it for the combination category, right? The combination category of some of the people who are or in mind, you know, you have in mind for your shechita are permitted and obligated to eat from that korban Pesach. And some of them are the people who cannot eat. Well, in that case, you're not chayav, you're pator. You'd be exempt from having to bring a, a, a Shabbos chatat. And then, this I found to be very interesting. If you shech the korban, it's supposed to be a korban Pesach, you're allowed to shech the Korban Pesach on Shabbos. You have to shech the Korban Pesach on Shabbos, meaning if Erev Pesach falls out on Shabbat. What happens is then afterwards, you have after you have done the shechita, you find that this particular animal had some kind of blemish that disqualifies it from being a Korban, which could happen any day of the year. But if it happens on Shabbos, you're chayav chatat for Shabbat. 
because what you did, that shechita then retroactively became a violation of Shabbat instead of shechita karban that is obligated to be to be offered on Shabbat. But there are blemishes that would not necessarily be an indication of a balmum, that they're really not um, disqualifying the animal from being a carbon. Let me say this carefully. It's not as bad as being a balmum. There's the, when the, if you would shaft the animal and then you open it up to do all the, I don't know, the entrails and everything that you need to do for the animal before you can offer it on the Mizbech, and you discover that the animal had some kind of trefa, some kind of condition that would enable it or require it, expect it to die within 12 months, meaning that is the definition here of a trefa baseter, that there's no obvi- obvious indication right. that this well, animal you, well, is not well. Anything, but if you, you discover it when you open it, it up... Before, and I think the Balmum issue is it's almost like you were negligent. Like, you didn't check the animal carefully enough before you shechted it. Um. Okay, that's fair. I think that's... Yeah. I think that some of the blemishes are... You're not necessarily likely to find them without... Maybe I'm wrong about this. No, I think that's the difference, is that the bow moon is something on the outside of the animal that was that should have been seen. And if you went ahead and shechted an animal without thoroughly checking it, that's on you, and that's why you're high up. Whereas an animal, where is it, it's a trefa, you you open it up afterwards, you find out there was something wrong with it, and it shouldn't have been shechted. It would have died anyways, you know, or whatever. But you you didn't. There was no way for you to discover that till afterwards. Right, and that's the the commentaries I've seen say the, the part of the issue for this um, trefa baseter is that you end up with a situation of ones meaning it is simply beyond your control, as opposed to something that is shogig, which I suppose that's where you would say negligent, Yordina. I think that there's something that's also, at least what I saw, is that there's a diff- there's two different categories of balmum, right? There's a balmum where it's just very obvious and check it and you're fine, and it's going to be a permanent, I mean, you're, you're very able to discover that moom, that blemish, um, and it's a permanent one. But then there's passing blemishes, that's how I saw it, that maybe you would think that it's gone and maybe maybe you could have discovered it only afterwards. But I hear your point and yeah, I take it. Yeah, because to make someone a, a good one. Um, and there has to be an assumption that like you didn't do the job the way you were supposed to. Fair enough. And then the trefa, right? You still can't offer that korban as a korban pesach because that's the, that's a qualification for a korban, but you're also not going to be chayav l'chata. Because again, you couldn't. It's your case of oni. You you didn't you didn't do it with any negligence. And then shechato v'nodash shemashchu habaalim et yadam o shemetu o shenitzmu patur. So what happens if you shechted the animal and then afterwards you discover that the people who had brought the korban to be a korban, um, you know, withdrew it from that registration and put it for to be a different korban, right? So now or that they registered with a different korban itself, meaning for their korban, now the animal that you had thought was going to be a korban Pesach is no longer going to be a korban Pesach, and the shkita was just not necessary, and nobody is is registered for that particular animal. Well, so that's one case, right? That's And then the next case is, or um, if they had died or become impure, meaning the owners, these are three different ways that the owners are no longer um, relevant, I guess, to the korban, to this particular animal. Then the person who did that shechita is patur mipnei shechat bershut. Because 
he did this slaughtering with permission at the time that he did it. It all made sense that it, that, that the animal would become a carbon. The fact that it is later going to be disqualified is not held against him in the is in this time of, you know, even though it was done on Shabbos, even though retroactively it's no longer going to be a carbon Pesach. At the time he did it, he did it under full auspices of doing shrita for the owners at the right time, on the right day, in the right purpose, and so on. And there we come to the end of the Mishnah, and the next daf picks up the Gemara on exactly. So I guess all we're going to end with the stay tuned for tomorrow <laughs> when we get to the Gemara. Well, that's our <laughs> daf discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this daf, and particularly this long Mishnah, on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.